Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Athletic. Let's talk about six, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that may be. Let's talk about six. Now, after a quiet transfer window, there has been a degree of negativity aimed towards the owners of Liverpool Football Club, Fenway Sports Group. So are they doing everything to maintain the levels of success that we've become used to in recent seasons. And where does the path lead from now? The Athletics' Simon Hughes explored these parallels between Liverpool and the Boston Red Sox in a special article a couple of years ago. So what has changed? I'm Steve Hothersall. This is the Red Agenda. I'm going to catch up with Cy now and uh, discuss where the club is heading. Cy, when you wrote the initial article, Liverpool were Champions League winners, the Red Sox were the most recent winners of the baseball world series and fsg cross sport owners doing a very effective job yeah yeah they, well they were and i think sort of if you look at the 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 way they've ran both of those sports teams with without um having a liverpool or a boston hat on you, you would say they are beat with the most sort of effective cross sports teams owners in, in the world, really, to have those two um, institutions and to make them successful at r- roughly the same time is is a, was a major achievement. And I think if you sort of look at a Coley, it's very difficult to argue against that. Um, obviously, that, that article was written two years ago in, in the summer of 2019, as you say, when I went over to, to Boston just to sort of try and get a feel for the job they were doing over there and contrast it with with Liverpool, um, and it was it was a fascinating week. Really, I spent sort of snooping around Boston, speak, speaking to people about what has happened there, and 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 trying to see really whether there is that sort of social and cultural link which a lot of people claim with Liverpool. And I, 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 the one thing that I came away from the trip realizing is that the Boston and Liverpool, despite some similarities, are, are very different cities and. The, the you know Boston Red Sox and Liverpool FC are, are very different football clubs in terms of the histories. There are some similarities, but I just think it's quite dangerous to sort of just say, well, they're both they're both the same, and therefore you know it, it's it's the same task. Um, Is it almost what, the the community ownership that defines them, or that feeling of a community ownership? Well, I, I think what one of the things that is is similar is that that both sort of fan bases see the club as an extension and a representation of the city in the sense that like in in boss in in Liverpool particularly you know that there, there is an expectation particularly from the owners that the owners um shouldn't be seen to be profiteering from the position they are in it's almost a civic duty to be running Liverpool um 
so and I'd say it's the same in Boston as well, or very similar. I think people see the Boston Red Sox as a representation of Liverpool, as of of Boston as a city, and it is your civic duty to run that club with a duty of care. Um, so that's where the, there's there's the clash, you know, the money clash, because I, 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 you know, a lot of people in Boston are being similarly critical as Liverpool supporters have of occasionally the, the, the lack of investments, which let's have it right. The the FSG um they've never never ever ever taken any money out of either of the sports clubs that they own. But their profit, if they are to make one, in theory, is to be when they sell either the Boston Red Sox or Liverpool. Now I'm not suggesting that situation is coming round the corner, but I think that is the the hook with which people sort of use to beat them with because obviously they bought Liverpool for um you know the the well the bargain of the century. Two hundred and seventy yeah. million, something like that. They bought it at the right time effectively, didn't they? They did. And 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 when they sell Liverpool it's fair to say that they're gonna make or even when they sell Liverpool it's fair to say that they're gonna make a, a huge, huge profit. Which I suppose they would argue is is merited given um Given the sort of the state of the club now compared to what it was when they took it over, why have FSG been able to replicate success levels? Si? I mean, you're talking different sports. You're talking what should be world leaders in their own different sporting fields. And is is what's happened with the Red Sox almost a barometer for what, for what always lies ahead with Liverpool? That's how it feels. It feels the conversation amongst Liverpool fans always turns, always reflects, always has that in the corner of it. Yeah, I, I, I know what you mean. I mean, I, I think it's really important to remember that, that obviously the, the ecosystem of baseball is very different to football. Um, you know, the, the, one of the reasons why John Henry and the rest of FSG were interested in buying Liverpool was because of FFP, which would, if it had been implemented in the way it was claimed it was going to be implemented, would have made it a bit more like the environment of baseball, where there are obviously certain caps. There's, you know, it, it in a strange way, American sports quite unusual in that sense. You know that that in it, it there's a lot of obviously central involvement in terms of funding, which obviously you don't get in in, in football. Uh, there's certain restrictions. You know, it's it's not the sort of hyper capitalist. Um, sport the football is where you know you've got sort of uh, owners who are some of the richest men in the world you know arguably from some of the oil rich governments that you you're coming up against with so I th- I think that that is an important distinction to be made that the, the two very environments that they're competing on um, um I think that's where particularly at Liverpool they, they found some of the challenges quite hard so. Um, the one, the one big similarity is that, that that they want both of their sports clubs to be run sustainably. They they believe in sustainability. Um, so I mean, and, that, the one, and they the, want that for sporting success, or do they want it for something else? Or should we, as supporters, accept that there's always a, a blurred line there? Because different fans take a different perspective on FSG's running of the club. They've been at the helm for a decade. Values risen risen significantly, as you said. Um, 
But it's always going to exist, that nature of privacy that surrounds the board, the decisions, and John Henry, who's, who's never really professed to be a diehard fan. They would argue that they have, I, I guess, anyway, this, this is me, this is my hunch, that they would argue that they have proven that FFP works. They've, they've followed those guidelines. They've tried to run the club sustainably and they've delivered success. Now, obviously that success would be Champions League, two Champions League finals, winning one, winning the Premier League, winning the World Club Cup. Hugely successful year of 2019 going into 2020. So they would argue that in the long term, self-sustainability can be successful. Now, where the argument comes in is, is then, are they capable in that business model of being able to deliver a culture of success, you know, year on year, the sort of culture that Liverpool supporters of, of you know, a certain age will remember the 1970s and 80s. Now, I think that's become a lot harder now because of the competition that you're coming up against. I my, One of my criticisms is that I, I think that they have stuck uh, religiously to, to what they believe in, which you, you, I, I think you, you can commend them for to, to some extent. But I also think that there are times that there's the inconvenient matter of football matches that get in the way of that, you know, that, that, that process. Um, you know, so for example, you, you, it'd be fair to suggest, suggest that they, I think that they, they could have been more aggressive last January, you know, in terms of trying to solve some of Liverpool's problems um, on the pitch in terms of the injuries. And then equally this summer, I still feel that the one or two players short um, personally, um, but they, they, they believe in the process that they've had and they've stuck to it and they've made it work. So, you know, I, I think my personal view is looking at from a rounded sort of position, or so, so, oh, sorry, I'd say a withdrawn sort of position, is that I think with, that, with the system that they've got in terms of having the competition that they're up against at the moment, I think it's a situation where, you know, Liverpool will be able to, for three years have three good years, there might be one fallow year and then a year of building it back up again. That That is the unfortunate reality of it. But then you could argue that a lot of these other clubs, Manchester City, for example, they've had these processes over the last 10 years where when Pop Guardiola goes, they will have a year, I would think, where it's not going to be as good for them. You know, it's going to be harder. You know, new manager coming in. You know, did that change? So, to some extent, a lot of football clubs are in that that cycle anyway. Um, but but have, you ever, the, the, have you ever heard the City fan base questioning the ownership of, of Sheikh Mansour? Is it, or is that just because this is an entirely different business model that yeah, we're actually I, I, looking at with Liverpool Football Club? I just think it, it's two totally different situations. Let's not forget where City were before Sheikh Mansour came. Um, to buy the club, I mean, I don't think, as far as I'm aware, that that sort of level of criticism just doesn't exist at City. Uh, I think it's two totally different football clubs run on totally different ideas. Um, not saying one is better than the other, but it, it's it's um, it's 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 a massive contrast, really. And I, I think that people might. I'm not saying that they they, they don't get the credit that they deserve. I I, th- I think people who are looking at FSG without being a Liverpool supporter, would look at it and say they have done a good job, an excellent job. Um, I, I would say that if football, in terms of the environment, throughout or across all the levels, was was based upon self-sustainability, which is what, ideally, 
I would say most people would prefer in football if it wasn't, you know, if football clubs didn't rely on the investments of one person or one group of people or a state, you know, that it was built upon something that is has solid foundations, which helps the whole game, you know, in terms of right across from all the levels, the high level of Premier League right down to the lowest levels. If it was based upon that, I think you'd be saying, well, Liverpool... FSG have done a fantastic job, but the reality is that isn't what they're fighting against at the moment. So it's it's very difficult for them to sort of keep up in in, in that situation. I mean, today, only today, it's definitely worth looking at. There's the Swiss Ramble uh, Twitter feed as a sort of outlined where all the money goes essentially, and you know he's he's pretty spot on with with his conclusions. I think about sort of finance and football, and that's sort of his conclusion really. It's not. I've always sort of felt that myself, but. I, I personally feel that sometimes that they could react to situations a bit more a bit more effectively rather than being so dogmatic. Um because as I said, it's the matches get in the way. Like that it's a very fragile sort of world that they operate in. If they were to fall out of the Champions League, as we've discussed many times on the podcasts, um you know that, that that would be really damaging for for the club, really, in in so many ways. So they can never afford for that to happen. Um, but but ultimately, you know, a successful Liverpool people say, well, do they really want success? Is it is is do they really want to go and win the league again? Well, of course they do because that will drive up revenues and increase the value of the club. Of course they do. I think it's almost a nonsensical idea to think that FSG don't want to make Liverpool into the greatest football club about. Now, because we, we both read a lot of the comments that come our way after we put podcasts out. And, you know, you know, there's many people who would point the fingers at us all, myself, you, James, Kiva, saying we're just FSG apologists. Um, which, again, it is slightly ridiculous, really. But there's most definitely different groups of fans with different perceptions on what FSG are all about. I just look at the fact that they brought two of the biggest trophies home in the last 10 years. And actually, if, you, if you'd if you said that when they took over 10 years ago, I think we'd have probably all accepted that as the journey, wouldn't we? Yeah, it's a great question, that's Steve, because I think I think there are different people who, who view them differently according to what their experience is with Liverpool. So... Um, you know, obviously, uh, me and you were around the club <laughs> 10, 12 years ago when um, it, it was plunged into civil oh, war. It was a disaster, wasn't it? Which, which, which was an awful situation. And since then, you know, obviously, it's taken them quite a long time, really, to sort of to get things right. I mean, I, I must say the appointment of Jurgen Klopp is crucial to everything. I, I think that he, without that appointment... I'm, I'm more or less convinced that, that everything that Liverpool have achieved in the last couple of years isn't possible. I think he's the most crucial figure at the club. So there's some arguments that say, well, Klopp's sort of masking all the, um, you know, sort of things that are wrong behind the scenes. I mean, I, I don't quite subscribe to that, but I, I would say that um, without Klopp, I, I just don't think they get anywhere close to where, to where, to where they've been. So that is a big question, what comes next after Klopp. But as you say, Steve, if you've been on that ride, if you've been through that period, and, and football for me, it depends how you define football as well. People do worry a lot about the future and understand why 
but you still have to appreciate the presence as you as you're on that that sort of that ride. And you know, anyone who's been on to those European finals, you know, being present at some of the greatest games that Liverpool have ever had as a club. Not that you're going to be patting the FSG on the back saying, great, you know, they've done well. It's, it's the players and the managers that get it. But let's not forget, there had, it has been a, a quite an exciting period, really. I mean, I'd say 2013-14, when they obviously didn't win the title, but nearly did, was one of the, the great seasons in many ways. I mean, I was, despite the the sadness around the way it ended, it, it was an incredible season and I'll never forget that. And then obviously ever since Jürgen Klopp's been in, it's just been, um, you know, unbroken growth really well obviously last season you would argue that it's fallen away it had fallen away but there's all sorts of reasons why that's happened I would say it's not just FSG um, you know in terms of the pandemic the lack of the crowds inside the grounds I think that that did have an impact but I, I think that I, I do feel that like sort of if you've been present at those moments you probably give them more benefit of the doubt and your interest is more aligned to sort of your experiences on a match day, you know, particularly local people just want to feel like Anfield's accessible and that the people who are running the club understand the fan culture. I think all the other stuff, the sort of transfer-related stuff, which a lot of people get wound up about um, on the internet, that 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 isn't at the forefront of your thoughts when you're thinking about Liverpool, really. Um, because they do get a lot of things wrong, you know, sort of... Um, you know, we've we've seen ticket protests and all that. That shapes mm. the way people feel about them. Well, 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 all that is is magnified as well, isn't it? I mean, I know it's some of it is, you know, they're big mistakes anyway. But inevitably, it's they're, they're more sticks to beat club owners with. The part of the problem is, Steve, that they, they tend not to get things right first time round. I I don't know whether that. I mean, this goes back to Boston. I don't know to what extent that has been the case in Boston, whether they've got more things right. But I think they've got a lot of things wrong and that has eroded trust levels amongst the fan base. Now, I think on the flip side that you could say, well, they responded to those mistakes reasonably well most of the time. I think at the moment, a lot of people are wound up by, obviously, that the fact that Liverpool haven't really invested massively against their competitors' Um, over the last six months. I think there are a couple of things at play here. I think, obviously, the one signing that they have made, Ibrahima Kanate, hasn't played at all for Liverpool yet. I think if he'd have been on the pitch and people were seeing, saying, oh, well, he's actually really good, that would sort of maybe maybe stop that side of the conversation a little bit. Um, but I also think that there's a, there's a few... You know, a few other things that obviously that Man, Man City, Man United have obviously gone and spent a huge amount of money um, particularly, you know, obviously United spending um, and in terms of the, the profile of the players have, have been frightening. Um, and well, well, let's have a look at the cost of the squad. So Liverpool, their squad is £532 million for the entire squad. Um, if you go to Chelsea, 654 million. Manchester United, 778 million. And Manchester City, 829 million. So that's the cost to build their separate squads. Can you realistically allow those gaps to get wider? I think it's all about timing with everything, Steve. It, it, it It's always to do with timing. I, I don't think that... I think obviously spending a lot of money increases the possibility that you're going to win. But 
at the end of the day, look at what Man United have spent to get there. They've won virtually nothing in the last five years when Liverpool have won everything. So somebody at United must be questioning that. I mean, I look at the United team and I still don't think they've addressed the most glaring issue within that team, which is the, the midfield combination. Uh, for me, it's just not quite right. I don't think they've got the calibre of manager that Liverpool have either. I know they finished above Liverpool last season, but let's be honest, if, you, if, if Virgil van Dijk was available last season, Liverpool probably finish above United, I would say. They only finished six points behind them in the end. Um, so they haven't addressed this summer, despite the players that they've signed, what is needed really. And I, I'm not convinced Ronaldo will end up sort of being that, that sort of happy conclusion that, that they all hope for. I, I do feel that Scott McTominay and Fred are going to have to up their levels by some distance to become um, to, to, to turn United into to champions. I th- I'm still not sure about Pogba's positioning and I still feel that the goalkeeper question is still there. Whereas the, the question relating to Liverpool, really, the whole debate at the moment, if we're being totally honest, is why didn't he sign another forward? My concern, I can understand those concerns because I think Liverpool... Uh, in January, always have always found it hard under Jurgen Klopp. The only season they, they mastered January was the season they won the league. Um, and they find that month very hard. And obviously, next January, there's every chance, depending on, obviously, the COVID situation, that Salah and Mane are gonna, not going to be there. Now, whether that changes, if, if they're there, then it increases the chances of Liverpool winning football matches. But, you know, even if Liverpool sign a centre a forward, I'm not convinced that there is the level of player available that that they could go and sign a player who's gonna who's gonna knock those three players out of the team. I think they obviously need to get some players to replace them in the long term. I think Jota was is, is part of that process. Obviously, that's the start of that process. Um but the argument really, I, I think, is all based on well, what comes next after these three players sort of get old at the same time. So I can understand the debate around it, but I just don't think it's as clear-cut as some people are making. You know, Liverpool should have signed a forward. Well, is Jared Bowen really going to become the player in January that, that wins Liverpool the title? I'm not exactly sure that it's as straightforward as that. Um, and people are forgetting as well. I mean, I, I've been really impressed by Harvey Elliott's sort of start to the season. Um, it'll be interesting to see how he develops and which position he plays in. But I, I think during the course of the season, I wouldn't be surprised if he did take some of the, you know, some of the forward positions at, at some of the some of the season. So, you know, Liverpool still do have options, but I, I still think that they could have done with an extra sign. And but nobody ever questions as well, Steve, whether how Jurgen Klopp feels about this. I, I, this isn't me speaking on behalf of Jurgen Klopp, but I think he is relatively satisfied. I think he's quite happy with the options that he's got. Well, we've we've said it before. He's quite public when he's unhappy with situations. Yeah, he, do, he doesn't hide his, his emotions. So, yeah, I, I think he's quite happy. So, my personal view, I mean, on Klopp, I, I do feel that you know he's not above question. Of course, he's not. I think he's never been in this position before where he's been able to actually keep his best players at Dortmund. All of his best players were sold, you know, to either Real Madrid or or Bayern Munich. Now at Liverpool, by and large, he's able to keep the star players. So how he deals with that, how he juggles it, how he knows how to let go. I mean, there is there is an element of Shankly with him in in a lot of different ways, but let's not forget when Bill Shankly was Liverpool's manager, he let that team go all together and it ended up costing Liverpool in a 
you know, in, in, in some ways, you know, the middle part of his reign as Liverpool manager was, was not as glorious as sort of people remembered it in some ways, you know, that they, they sort of fell away. So he needs to be aware of that. But I do feel that that process has already started, you know, and people are worried about the next couple of years. Jota has been signed for that reason. He's, how old is he, Steve? Is he 24, 25? He will be a Liverpool player, ideally, if he carries on performing for the, you know, for a long time and he, for me you know he's a very exciting player to, to, to watch so we'll see I mean I, I I think if Liverpool over the next two windows haven't addressed this issue then it's cause for concern but I still feel that the squad it's the strongest squad Liverpool have ever had you know since since you know since squads became an issue it's a massive squad with lots of good players one or two of the players need to leave but it's still a very strong squad. I understand, obviously, there was disappointment with the Chelsea game and the way that pans out. But I do feel sometimes you've got to give a bit of credit to Chelsea. I think of that. I think of that game as later on in the season. Maybe it's a different, you know, sort of a different feeling around the game. There are so many positives. Let's go to who's making the decisions and how the organisation's been influenced. I think in that piece you wrote a couple of years ago, you looked at Mike Gordon. Um, I'm just wondering, do we know any more about him than we did two years ago? He was effectively the man who created the dynamic between Jurgen Klopp and, and Michael Edwards. Um, and obviously, when Klopp came on board, I think they understood Klopp's intelligence as, I think you put it in your piece, as an executive, someone who realised the fina- financial implications of every move, which they were very lucky with, really. Do we know any more about Mike Gordon? And in fact, whether he or John W. Henry are calling the shots for for what lies ahead. Well, the the very unusual thing about FSG is if if you can accept that that, that they have run their sports businesses successfully, which I would say from their point of view, they've run it successfully in terms of they have, you know, they've they've made both of the clubs successful. They've increased the value of those clubs, the the popularity of those clubs. Um, So I think on a number of levels, they have been successful. But when I speak to people around the organisation, it's it's a very unusual way of working. You know, I'd say I go as far as to say it's it's quite dysfunctional in many ways. Um, you know, uh, uh, the 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 three sort of main figures really: John W. Henry, Mike Gordon, and um, Tom Werner. I mean, Henry and Gordon live pretty much just around the corner from one another. Uh, in Brookline, in, in in Boston, close to the famous golf course, Tom Werner is is based in LA, so they're, they're not in each other's company all the time, but they're speaking regularly. You know, it, it doesn't take much for for Gordon to go around to Henry's house, um, and but I, I I don't, it's a bit sort of old fashioned in in the way that they they operate. You know, I think they will sit round and and talk about things. Um, in terms of when, when over the big issues, I think they let Liverpool govern itself in, in many ways. Gordon is the link to Boston in the sense that now, you know, I'm sure we'll come on to talk about Michael Edwards. They trust Michael Edwards to run, run the sport and operation. If and when he leaves, I suspect Julian Ward will step into his shoes. That That's why, you know, he's been sort of promoted the last couple of years. One of the sort of reasons why. Um, and, and then obviously he, he's he's assisting assistant sporting director. Is that right? Yeah, he's the assistant sporting director. So he's been essentially shadowing Michael Edwards since 
since last December. Um, and, you know, as I mean, I wrote about him a couple of weeks ago in a, the piece about Ben Davies, um, you know, very well respected. You know, he's he's uh, he's done very well in, in his job in the loan system. You know, that was the, his previous role in terms of seeking out the right loans for, for Liverpool's outgoing players. I think you've got to give him sort of a bit of credit for placing Harvey Elliott at Blackburn, for example. That's been a good club for Liverpool to loan players out to. And he's, um, I think Harvey Elliott will become you know, a first-team, established first-team player over a number of years for Liverpool. So that has been good. But at Merseys, over on Merseyside, you know, obviously you've got Edwards running the, the football operation, Jürgen Klopp running the football team, and Billy Hogan running the business. So um, All I, very I, good in their different areas. Well, I, I, undoubtedly, I mean, Billy Hogan's coming for a fair bit of criticism over the, um, <laughs> over the uh, European Super League, which again, I mean... Uh, Trailing back a little bit to, to what something I was saying. Before. I don't I think, think that was Billy's bag, though. No, was no, it really? no. It, it wasn't. It wasn't. But I think because um, obviously he was the first person to um, obviously. I mean, I, I, I take a bit of responsibility for that. Obviously, got hold of the email that he'd sent to the to, to the staff members um, at Liverpool, and obviously we published that at the Athletic, and it, that led to him getting a fair bit of heat, I'd say, online. But it wasn't his. I don't. Uh, as far as I, uh, I, my information is that he wasn't involved in that process with the, the the Super League. He was sort of acting on on orders, really. And, and that's so the the big the sort of the big issues that sort of transcend Liverpool, the big football issues. This is where uh, it leads to me writing an article about FSG still not getting everything right because there's still Liverpool in Boston and Liverpool in Merseyside, and sometimes, you know. What's going on in both places don't always connect, despite Mike Gordon's attempts. And, he, you know, in, in a lot of instances, he's been very good at that, but they still haven't mastered it, put it that way. Um, so, yeah, so, I mean, I, I get the impression like Henry really is is sort of, um, you know, takes a, a sort of a back seat on a lot of issues, but steps forward when he, he feels there is need to. I, I think that a lot of the sort of the mistrust around him stems from that, that he, he's not willing to sort of, come and say what he thinks. I mean, I think Liverpool fans, when they've heard from him in the last couple of years, it's mainly to be apologised. And I think when that ratio goes up, you know, compared to actually, you know, sort of solid leadership, I think that's that's not a good thing for him. So, si, I think you've nailed it there. Communication is, is the issue. You know, how well are FSG sort of conveying the message to supporters? But again, you'd put a parallel alongside Man City or Chelsea and think, well, when do owners of those football clubs? When you know? When did yeah. the owners of Manchester United ever communicate uh, well, more I, effectively I would, than Liverpool? I would argue quite strongly that Liverpool is a very different club to Manchester City in terms of the, particularly the fan base and the historical sort of relationship with authority as well within the city. I think Liverpoolians generally are quite distrustful of people who. Um, you know, people in authority generally. I've got, I've got to say that I'm from Liverpool. I think I can't say that. I, I am. I, you know, I, I, that's how I feel. Um, I'd say with Man United and Glazer, uh, yeah, I, I would agree with that. I'd say that Glazer is, for me, a far. He's he's done a lot less for Manchester. The Glazer family have done a lot less for Manchester United than FSG have done for Liverpool. I think it's fair to say that, you know, when you look at the debt of Man United, 
in terms of you know the Old Trafford. I mean, they've they've done nothing to develop Old Trafford. There are parts of the ground which are you know quite dated now. Um, if you look at Liverpool from the point where FSG come in compared to now. They've solved the stadium solution, which was, you know, a, a long-standing issue for Liverpool, which was stopping the club from developing and competing. I, I would say they've solved that and they've done it in a brilliant way. I, I love Anfield. I love the way it looks. I love the fact that it's still there. I can't imagine. Got to be congratulated, playing. haven't they? I, I for, think for, for that. There. I think for that. I think as well. You know that obviously I don't think that the training ground has had much sort of. Um, Many seen many positives so far because obviously the team's performances haven't been as good since they moved there. But you know they, they've invested in that. They've listened to the manager and his vision for why that needed to happen, and they've delivered it. I think that they've obviously hired a world class manager and the right manager for Liverpool. I don't think Glazer, the Glazer family, have ever really hired the right Manchester manager for Man United. So I, I think, but. Despite all that, I, I just feel that the Liverpool fan base is its still scarred by Hicks and Gillette. You know, it, it's not easy to always sort of um, pin the blame for every decision that is made on Hicks and Gillette. But they, they when FSG bought the club, they inherited the club as a distressed asset. And the reason why was because of Hicks and Gillette. So they appreciated that when they took over, that they were inheriting a, a broken fan base, a paranoid fan base. And despite all the success, I just don't think that'll ever go away. I think it's within the culture of Liverpool to always question everything that happens. I think the previous owners, David Moores, Rick Parry, people like that, they'll be able to tell you that there's always been a questioning of the way Liverpool's been run as a football club. I think that's been exacerbated by foreign ownership and the fact as well, I, don't, I still don't think it helps them that that they're not on site really, the FSG. They've appointed good people, as we've mentioned, people who've run the club well. In, the, in their absence, but the fact that they're not there, it feels to a lot of people like they're just sort of, you know, um, that they're not as serious as they should be, whereas they're in Boston. But let's 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 not forget as well, Steve, in Boston, they get a fair amount of stick as well, hmm. despite living there. So, but you've just mentioned that they, they were handed a historic headache from Hicks and Gillette. And in many ways, you, you might conclude that that's why they're not managing it there. And perhaps that they feel that's the best way to run the club. I'm trying to play devil's advocate and look at it. You mentioned a load of great things they've done. They're heading towards their 11th anniversary in charge. I think within the boardroom, they'll have a great deal of pride with what they've achieved. But as long as they acknowledge the problems that have come with it. And I think the biggest thing that lies ahead is we know Jurgen Klopp's contract finishes in 2024. And clearly he's been, as you mentioned, Sai, fundamental to everything. And that is the conversation that will be at the heartbeat of the football club over the next two years. Definitely, Stephen. As I say, I, I think that they... I think if you're an owner, and I've said this many times, you don't go to own any football club and hope that the fans sing your name. I think the only owner in the history of British football, in terms of the top level who's had his name sung by the fans, was Jack Walker. But this goes back to what I was saying at the beginning. Let's not forget, once Jack Walker's money sort of ran out on Blackburn, Blackburn plummeted. So the idea of, for me, this is my view is, you know, that football would be a better place if it, more clubs weren't reliant on the, the owner model, huge owner model where there's huge investments. 
there's got to be a balance struck somewhere. I know that some clubs do need investment to get get themselves on a stable platform and, and, and get themselves competing. But I think it's gone too far now with, with the level of sort of money that's involved at the highest end and it affects that then trickles down and affects the whole ecosystem of the sport. So I think that, you know, over the next few years, they they should always be open to criticism, but I also feel that it's about who you listen to, who who the what criticism is the right criticism. Um I, I think that they have got sort of a big challenge ahead. If Jurgen Klopp is is to to leave in twenty twenty four or or before, I mean I, I, he's irreplaceable as far as I'm concerned. I don't see another manager in world football who has what he has got um, as as a, as a leader. But you know he has he has he has led Liverpool to the glory that they've achieved, um, and and he has he has helped the club get over the historical distress of of not winning the league for so long i suspect he'll be desperate to try and do it again you know based on the things you've spoken about before you know not not doing it in front of a full anfield um the concern as well amongst the fan base and i can understand that is that city have you know won how many titles in the last decade steve is it six they've won four titles in the last five i think something like that so they're obviously you know, when people talk about dominating English football, they they've obviously they're doing that at the moment. But you know, let's not forget. I think there's going to be a bit of a fall away for them when Guardiola moves on, um, potentially. So there's a lot to think about. I, I do feel that you know, that I do feel that sometimes I think the criticism is just blind. I think that some people almost I can understand why. If you, if you if you would prefer a model, a football model where it's based on on sort of more fan involvement that you know rather than just having sort of wealthy uh, foreign ownership who who you know who have no connection with Liverpool I think FSG are fighting against that you know to some extent still I think some people will just never have them uh, no matter what they do they, they, they want an alternative model um, but let's not forget as well so that Barcelona was championed as the old, the great alternative model, and look what's happened there. So I don't think there is an ideal situation. I think sometimes you've got to look at sort of the best of a few bad situations and weigh up which one sort of works works the best. Really, um, nothing is perfect in football. I don't think anything ever will be. But at the moment, it's quite clear that you know that there's there's a lot of imbalances across the game. Um, and I, I would say that if the game was being judged on self sustainability. Uh, and sort of, um, I would say that FSG have done an excellent job, but unfortunately, you know, you you must look at what is around you, and sometimes remind yourself that you might have to do something that goes against what your principles might be. I'm not saying they should be doing that all the time because I think you obviously lose sight of 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 your 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 vision if you do that. But I do think that sometimes their their model is a bit inflexible and it, it doesn't necessarily afford the sort of freedom to make changes that are needed you know when when the football season throws up uh unexpected developments like Virgil van Dijk getting injured or or you know I don't know somebody becoming unavailable for a long period of time so I think that's something that they need to think about a little bit but throughout a pandemic I'd imagine I would imagine that John Henry from afar is is looking at the Premier League and thinking 
there's some reckless spending going on here in the middle of a pandemic. Um, that's what he'll be. That's what he will be thinking. I, I suspect. Um, if you know, we come out the other side, and there was, there was UEFA were to decide to to sort of get a grip of FFP uh, and get a grip of clubs like PSG and, and Manchester City. I think Liverpool would be in a great position to go and to, to, to go and sort of do the things that fans want them to do. But as it stands, it feels like there's 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 some distance to travel before that possibility is there. We're sponsored for this episode of Walk On by LinkedIn, so it's only right that we crowbar in a reference to Liverpool's super slick recruitment process while we talk them up. Because when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like Arnie Slot, probably. In any given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. In fact, on LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. So hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash walk. That's L-I-N-K-E-D-I-N dot com slash walk to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Fascinating deep dive on um, FSG. I'd encourage you, if you've not read it, go back through Simon's timeline. So head on to the Athletic site. You can actually just um, search out the individual writers to put Simon's name in and go back to the piece that he wrote two years ago because it's a really interesting piece on the parallels between Boston, Liverpool and the dynamics that go on behind the football club and a piece that hopefully you'll follow up in the next couple of years, Si. Definitely, Steve. I can... Get out to Boston again. That that'd be pretty good. Um, <laughs> I love be quite, quite happy about that. I mean, just, just one or two final thoughts. Go on. I mean, the, 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 people accuse FSG of, of not investing, but you know, the, 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 they have the one of the biggest wage bills in world football. You know, it's bigger than Chelsea and United. They reward, you know, the the, the players that they've got, which is obviously a debating point at the moment around Salah. Will he get a contract? Won't he? Ryan Alzheimer's gone. You've obviously signed a lot of players to long-term contracts. I think that should never be forgotten. Um, I just, and, and I think as well, that, that on the flip side of that, that, that the concerning element to me at this moment in time is that if you look at the the, the, the sort of the, the, the um, spreadsheets of how much money they've spent, FSG wouldn't be in this position without selling players as well at certain times. So player sales is massively important. Um, so... I do wonder, you know, where that money comes from in the next few years in terms of how, you know, how Liverpool fund their success. I think a lot of the conversations around Liverpool's growth from 2017 and 19 was totally misrepresented. You know, or Liverpool have spent spent their way to the Champions League because they bought Van Dijk and Alisson Becker. That was only possible, I've said this many times, because they sold Philip Coutinho for a ridiculous amount of money and had the overachievement of reaching the Champions League final in 2018. That made those signings possible. So it's all about reality. You know, if, if Liverpool are going to have to find a way to increase um, to increase their incomings over the next few years. And it's a bit of a concern, obviously, based around what's happened this summer, where, OK, the top clubs have spent, but the sort of the, the clubs that they would normally sell 
to to make the sort of money that makes it possible to to compete they haven't been spending quite as much money i mean just, let, i'll just finish on this the premier league of in the premier league in a pandemic there's been more than a billion pounds worth of spending this summer just absolutely incredible in the championship there's been 40 million pounds worth of spending and half of that spending has been made by fulham who are on parachute payments haven't come out of the premier league that needs to be thought about in terms of when there's a discussion about FSG, there needs to be a discussion about the way the landscape is. I think it's just too easy to say, well, Man City is spending this, we've got to compete. Man City, you know, a lot of Liverpool fans who are critical of FSG to cry, you know, the Chelsea ownership model, a Man City ownership model. You've got to decide really which side of the arguments that you're on. You can't have both. You can't you can't say, well, they're bad because that's what they're doing, but that's what we want as well. I think it's it's an unfair, unskewed argument. Um, so yeah, I'll just finish there. <laughs> Absolutely, it's, it's brilliant stuff. Fascinating to see what sort of reaction there is to this podcast. Uh, if you've got a comment, leave it on the social media, or of course. Um, when you yeah, listen to the podcast, let us know. Well, obviously, there'll be a lot of negatives. That's absolutely fine. I think we've had quite a few of those in the, in our time. Um, that was a special Red Agenda on FSG. We're going to do the Red Agenda Extra. Uh, back to the football later this week. Leeds-Liverpool is the next test. It's Sunday at 4.30, so we'll be chatting on that one. Uh, thanks very much for listening to the podcast, and we'll catch up with you soon. Take care.